It's good to stand before you again, and what a privilege and an honor it is to bring God's word to you today. We've been through a difficult time in the last few weeks. Um, 4th of April, my brother-in-law dropped dead from a pulmonary embolism, and uh, he was a man 46 years old, a man full of vision, full of love for this nation, full of desire to see God's work to see revival come in this nation. And uh, I went there and we prayed that the Lord might spare his life, grant him back to us again. But it wasn't the Lord's design, it wasn't his will, it wasn't his purpose. And so he went to be with the Lord. But what it did in us, what it did in me, is it just reminded me of why we are here. It reminded me that this life is short, that this life is not what it's all about. And it also reminded me that God has got a plan to save us, that he's got a plan to completely redeem us, and not only us, but to redeem all of creation. And to be able to see what happened through the eyes of God, through the eyes of scripture, through the eyes of the hope that we have, and the eyes of eternity has made the whole thing just so easy for us to bear, so easy for us to walk through. The reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us, you know, we talk about it, but is it real to us? Is it really something that burns within our hearts? And this is what I want to continue talking about today. We've been considering, and Ian, I think, has been largely, I know you had the first session, I think, uh, the road to Golgotha and beyond. And uh, we've talked about the death and the resurrection of our Lord. We've talked about what he did, how he set his face to Jerusalem, and how he went to that cross, how he endured that shame, that scorn, that pain, that suffering, how he willingly handed himself over to death, allowed wicked men to nail him to a tree. And then we looked and saw how after he had been buried, God raised him from the dead. And the joy and the hope that that brings to each and every one of us. In Luke's gospel we are told, not only did he appear to Mary Magdalene, but he also appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. And as he appeared to them, he began to explain to them, even though they didn't know who he was, they be he began to explain to them and open their minds to understand the scriptures. And then we see after that, when they're all gathered together and they're all talking about the fact that they've seen the Lord, and Peter is there and they're saying he's also seen the Lord, and the reality of what God has done is beginning to dawn on their hearts, suddenly something happens. And this is what I want to read today from Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start in verse 36. I would have loved to have been there at that time, what we're going to read today. I would have loved to be able to stand and actually see what they saw and hear what they heard. But thank God it's been written down for us. 
And through the word of God, we can. We can imagine ourselves standing there. But can you imagine the Lord Jesus whom they've seen nailed to the cross, whom they've seen die, give up his spirit and breathe his last? And then this is what happens. Let's start in verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. From the time that Adam was removed from the garden and that cherubim with its flaming swords were put there in the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. And death came upon humanity. And the judgment of God came on humanity. From that very time, God put into motion, began to put into motion a plan that he had preordained from before the foundation of the world, from before the beginning of time. And through the Old Testament, and through that period of history leading up to the cross, to the coming of Jesus Christ, God was preparing everything, putting everything in place to execute and accomplish the plan that he had. The plan to completely redeem humanity, to redeem his people, to redeem this creation. And so we see in the Old Testament as God reveals this plan. He actually is speaking about it and laying it out in great detail throughout the Old Testament and throughout that period of history. And then we see the Lord Jesus come. Something that God had said would happen. Something that was integral in the plan that God had. And he comes and he dies, goes to the cross and dies. And then he rises from the dead 
And then we see in this passage of scripture, we see him now risen from the dead, standing before the people, and he says this. It says he began to open their minds to understand the scriptures, to understand everything that had been written about him. Do you know what he was doing? He was actually opening their minds to understand the plan that God had put in place to redeem humanity. And he says, it was written that the Christ must suffer and die. Do you know that the cross is the very fulcrum, the fulcrum around which the whole plan of God hinges. Without Jesus' death on the cross, the whole plan of God could not be affected. When the Lord Jesus went to that cross, he was paying the price for God to fulfill his purpose. He was pray, paying the price for God to accomplish everything that he had said he would accomplish. You know, when the Lord was just before the cross, he said, Father, if there's any other way, please let it happen. But there was no other way. The only way that the plan of God could take place was through Jesus Christ stretching out his hands, offering his back, shedding his blood, and going to that cross to die for the sins of every single man and woman. But you know, that's not where the plan of God ended. Because it also says he had to rise. And then we see the Lord Jesus in this passage saying, that's not where the plan of God ends. Something else had to take place for God to execute and accomplish all that he's purposed. Let me just ask you quickly, what is it that God is trying to accomplish? When Jesus died on that cross, what did he see in his mind? Do you know what he saw? He saw every single human being that has faith in him with immortality having eternal life. He saw a creation where there would be no more death, where there would be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more curse, where there would never be a tear shed again. He saw the redemption not only of his people, but he saw the redemption of the entire creation. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation is groaning in eager expectation waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You see, God has a plan not only to redeem his people but to redeem the whole of creation. As Jesus hung on that cross, do you know what he was seeing? He was seeing a new heaven and a new earth which would be the home of righteousness. He was seeing that there would be no more devil and no more evil. He was seeing everything that you and I desire for and long for. Everything that we seek for in our hearts. When we feel the groaning of this present age in our hearts, that's what he died to take away. And he stands here before his disciples and he says, look at me. I have flesh, I have bones. It's me, I'm not just a ghost, I'm not just a spirit. And then he says, something else has got to happen. 
this a message has to be taken to every nation of the world. A message has to be preached in order for the plan of God to be fully accomplished. I want to ask another question quickly. Here we see the Lord Jesus. He's been delivered from death. He's been rescued from the grave. Here he is standing before his disciples, immortal, with the power of endless life, never to die again. His body transformed from what it was into something that could hold the glory of God, something that could ascend into heaven and stand in the very presence of the almighty creator, our Father, Look upon his face without dying, without ceasing to exist. Something that could move between heaven and earth. Something that could pass through a wall and yet could be touched. Something that could be seen and heard and could even eat. God had done something. But the very people he's talking to, the very people he died for, the very people that he shed his blood to save are still standing in mortal bodies. Nothing has changed. They're still standing in bodies that feel pain, bodies that were going to get old, bodies that were going to suffer. They were still living in a world where he said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have sorrow. And I ask the question today, why even though the Lord died to set us free from sin and all its consequences, including the consequences of Adam's sin, is death still reigning and the judgments that Adam's sin brought upon us still in effect today? Have you ever asked that question? Why even though the Lord Jesus has died for our sins, shed his blood for our sins, are our bodies still getting older? Why do we still see what we see in this world? Why, do we, why have we not seen the transformation and change he died for? Why did my brother-in-law drop dead? Where's this eternal life that the Bible says he died for? Why do we still see the very judgments that were pronounced upon Eve and upon Adam in Genesis chapter 3 still in effect today? Women still have pain in giving, uh, uh, giving birth to children. We still earn our food by the sweat of our brow. The earth still yields thorns and weeds and thistles. Just ask any farmer. And from dust we came and to dust we're going. I look in the mirror, I see those gray hairs, and I say to myself, you're on the way to the grave. This is evidence. It's where you're going. Why? When the Lord Jesus has died and he's paid the price for eternal life, for us to have immortality, for everything that we're talking about to be removed completely from creation, do we not see it at work today? There's a very good reason. 
because something has to happen first. And this is what the Lord Jesus was sharing with his disciples in the passage we've just read. He said, the Christ must die, then on the third day he must rise from the dead, and then a message must be preached. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in all nations in his name. And you know that the end cannot come until that job has been finished. And when I talk about the end, I'm talking about the consummation of the plan of God for the redemption of his people and of all creation. It cannot happen until what we call the Great Commission has taken place. And so since that day that we've been reading about, even up to the present time, our Lord Jesus is seated in heaven and he's waiting. The Bible says he's waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for all his enemies to be made his footstool. He's waiting for the work that he has given to the church to be finished and completed. And you see that only once that task is finished can the Lord Jesus Christ come back from heaven and finish and bring into effect everything that his blood and his death on that cross has purchased. If we understand this, it should do something in our hearts and in our lives. You see, we can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. We can hasten his return. Because the time of his coming is dependent on us finishing this work. And you know that the devil is doing everything he can to stop the church finishing this work, this task, this great commission. Do you know why he's doing it? Because he knows that once this task is finished, once this message has been taken to every nation in the world, the end is coming. His end is coming. His time of activity will cease. And so what is he doing? Everything that he's trying to do is to stop this happening. He wants to stop the church fulfilling this commission that Jesus left us to do. I, I pray today that God will open our hearts and minds just as he opened the minds of those disciples to see and understand this. The devil, it's very interesting you go to nations and they tell you, do not preach the gospel. They'll tell you, you can do anything. You can gather as a church. You know there's nations in the world where you can gather as a church. You can come into a building like this and you can praise the Lord and you can uh, sing to him and you can pray. But take one step outside and start preaching the gospel and you'll be arrested. Do you know that the devil is doing everything he can to stop us preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a rising tide of persecution that's coming. When we look at what's happening in the West, what is, what's happening in the West? What is the cry that's coming through the media? Do you know what it is? Church, shut up. Church, 
Go and meet in your buildings, worship your God, but shut up. Don't tell us about him. You see, we're coming to a place in history where this, this very commission that Jesus Christ gave the church is very close to being fulfilled and finished. You see, what is the Great Commission? It's taking this message into every nation, making disciples in every nation. It's bringing the kingdom of God into every nation in this world. It's bringing the knowledge of the glory of the Lord into every nation. And it's very near to being finished. I tell you, we're living right now, we're living at the very um, climax of everything that God is doing in this dispensation. And the opposition is going to intensify. The persecution is going to intensify. The, the world is going to stand up. The devil is going to raise people to stand and say, don't speak, be silent. And there's going to be persecution for those that do. It's coming. I think we can see it probably clearer today than ever before. But you know what the Lord is saying to us? He's saying, go and do it. Go and do it. You see, this battle, this life that we're, we, we have, what is it really about? If the battle that we're going through in life is simply just to have a better life, it really seems pretty pointless to me. But if the battle that we're going through and the challenges that we're facing is because we are here on assignment, we are here to do the very will of God, suddenly it takes on a whole different dimension. Do you know we are soldiers of Jesus Christ? I think the church has lost sight of that. That we're actually soldiers of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we can see that our life is not just about living a life, it's not just about surviving, it's not just about getting through to the next day and uh, taking care of our physical needs, it's actually about the kingdom of God. Do you know that when we received Jesus as Lord, when we submitted our lives to him, do you know that we joined his army? When we were baptized, we became a part of his body. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouth. We are the vessel, the only vessel that he can use in this world to accomplish his purpose. Jesus died. He did his part. God raised him from the dead. But you know, it's now us. We've got to take the next step. And so I want to encourage you today, I want to encourage you as the church to realize that we are not going to see and receive what Jesus has purchased at the cross in its fullness until this job is done. I don't know about you, but I want to see the Lord come. 
I want to see the resurrection of the dead. I want to have immortality. We talked last week, Tians mentioned and talked about breakthrough. You know what I've come to realize? I've come to realize that we as believers live going from a need for one breakthrough to a need for another breakthrough to another breakthrough. And we get a breakthrough and then we need another breakthrough because that's the, that's the world we live in. That's the time in which we live. I hear Christians praying, Father, give us a righteous government. Be our government. Do you know what we're actually praying for? We're praying for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only when he comes that we're actually going to see what righteous government really is. Many of our prayers and the groanings that we feel inside, you know what it is? It's all us groaning and saying, come Lord Jesus, come. Bring the fullness of redemption. Bring what, what you've purchased on the cross into reality in our lives. When we get sick, we pray. But you know there's coming a time when there will be no more sickness. When there will be no more need to pray for healing. Do you know the real breakthrough that we're looking for is the return of the Lord Jesus. It's when heaven opens, when the skies part, and he steps into this realm with salvation in his hands, that's when we're going to see the breakthrough that every one of our hearts is crying out for. That's when there will be no more death, no more funerals. Can you imagine a creation where there is no more graveyards, no more hospitals? Can you imagine that? That's what Jesus died to bring. And that's what he's calling people from every nation to be a part of. To eat and feast in the kingdom of God. The kingdom that he's prepared for those that love him. The challenge I believe that God wants to make to us today, to give to us today, is this challenge. Will we rise up and take our place and play our part in seeing this great commission, this job finished? I've given my life for it. And I tell you, as I travel around this nation, as we're ministering around this nation and doing the very thing that the Lord Jesus said must happen, do you know what we're doing? And this just strengthens me and it buoys me. We're actually fulfilling scripture. We have a part to play in the fulfillment of scripture. There are scriptures that tell us what we must be doing. And just as the Lord Jesus went to the cross to fulfill scripture, so every time we share the gospel with someone, we are fulfilling scripture. We're a part of God's plan. This incredible plan that he has put together and that he's been executing from the beginning of time cannot be fulfilled and finished apart from you and I. And that means that everything that we do, everything that we have, should be moving towards the fulfillment of this purpose. It, this should be the very thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. It should be the very thing that moves us to our knees in prayer. When we're working in the workplace, what are we working for? I believe we should be seeing the Great Commission. We should be seeing the gospel going forth. That's what we're on this earth for. That's what we're here for. This is the task that God has given his church. We should be strengthening one another. 
When we meet together like this, why are we meeting together? It's to strengthen one another so that together we will fulfill this task. This nation is ripe for the harvest. Right now we've got a team out in Chindunduma, just, which is a place just north of Bandura. In the, just in the last year or so, we've established four churches there. And we are seeing people every week. We are baptizing people every week. And this area has been an area that has been dominated by a prophet, a so-called prophet, over many decades. But he died short, not long ago. And this area is just open to the gospel. The people are turning to Christ. We're seeing influential people turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seeing people that were, have been involved in violence, political violence, turning to Christ. We've seen them testifying of their sins and saying, I don't know why it took so long for God to save me. You see, God is at work in this earth and if we can see through spiritual eyes, we will see that everything that God is doing in this earth right now is to bring this whole plan to its end to bring it to its fullness. You and I have a part to play in this. I want to finish today just by sharing one last thing. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Do you know that we cannot do this task without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven. He comes from heaven to clothe us with power. Power to do what God has commissioned us to do through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that every one of us should have such a desire to receive the fullness of everything that the Holy Spirit wants to give to each and every one of us. To be clothed with him, to be filled with him, saturated with him, to where everything about us exudes the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to empower each and every single one of us to do the, what he has called us to do, to play the role that he has given each and every one of us to play. I know as a church, We've been talking about the Holy Spirit even at the beginning of this year, at the end of last year specifically. And I just want to encourage you, don't live your life by your own power. Don't live your life by your own strength. Don't live it by your own wisdom. Because God has given us wisdom that comes from heaven. And it comes to us through the Spirit of God. God has given us supernatural abilities to do what we couldn't do without him. I've laid my hands on people's eyes. There's nothing in these hands. Blind eyes. I've laid my hands on them and I've seen them open. That's the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. We've seen a little baby seven, seven months old come back from the dead. That's the spirit of the living God. There's no ways that we in our own strength can produce that. But God can. And I believe that we're living at a time in history 
The Holy Spirit wants to rest upon each and every one of us. He wants to give businessmen wisdom. He wants to give you strategies. He wants to be able to wake you up in the middle of the night and download into your spirit things that you need to do and show you paths that you would never see without him. Why? So that you can be a part of financing the kingdom, financing this great commission, seeing the work of God go forth in power, seeing people being reached and saved. I tell you, we're living in such a time of opportunity. Such a time of opportunity in this nation. What's happened in the east of the country, in the Chimani Mani and Chipinge areas, I tell you, I believe with all my heart, God is opening up that area that has been very resistant to the gospel, has been bound by the power of witchcraft. I believe he's beginning to open the people there to the realization that there is a higher power that there is a greater king, that there is someone who rules over heaven and earth and over everything that's in it. And I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, show us, open the way, show us, prepare the hearts of the people so that the gospel can go into that region in a way that it's never done before. We are living in such times of opportunity and yet at the same time such times of turmoil and danger. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his wisdom. We need his grace. We need everything that he gives to us. I want to encourage you. Open your hearts. Seek his face. I believe that God can do something in our midst. I don't believe that we have even seen half of what God is wanting to do. I believe that even in our own meetings that the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit can come to such a dimension that the challenge is going to be how do, we, how do you cope with it? How do you deal with it? What can, what's going to change this nation? I tell you, there's only one thing that can bring the purpose of God to pass in this nation. And that is a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this nation. There's only one thing that can bring this nation out of the doldrums, out of where it is, out of the abyss that it is headed into. And that is a mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God. There is no other way that this can happen. No political change is going to do it because corruption is endemic right through the whole nation. It'll just be a changing one corrupt government for another corrupt government. There has to be a change in the hearts of people. That's what has to happen. And there's only one person who can change the hearts of a human being, and that is our Lord. He has to start with us. We need to change. Church, don't allow the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life to crowd out the purpose that God has ordained you for. Don't allow those things to shift your focus. We have to keep ourselves focused. That's what we are here to do for each other. We're here to refocus. That's why we gather together. And so, church, seek the Lord. Let's seek him with all our heart. 
Let's seek him like we've never sought him before. Let's pray like we've never prayed before. Let's call upon his name like we've never called upon his name. Let's ask God to intervene. Let's ask him to pour out his spirit afresh upon us. Let's ask him for a new rebaptism. Let's ask him to do something in this nation that will change the course of the history of this nation. Let's seek his face. Let's seek him like we've never sought him. I believe God is just waiting for us. He's waiting for us. I tell you, he's done it in the past and he can do it again. Do you know that God has done this in the past? You know that in 1907, the Lord poured out his spirit on a nation called Wales. And you know what happened in that nation? People began to turn to the Lord. The policemen had no work to do. They sat and twiddled their thumbs. This happened, it's in the history books. The presence of the Holy Spirit came so strongly upon the nation of Wales that it says that people would be passing into, into Wales and they would be coming in those days, they didn't have cars, they would be coming with their, their I don't know what you call them, their buggies, their chariots, whatever you want to call them, their horse-drawn vehicles. And as they came into that nation, conviction of sin would come upon them. There's records of people just stopping, stopping the horses and getting out and just kneeling right on the side of the road and beginning to cry out to God for forgiveness for sin and for salvation. This has happened. This is what our God can do. The, the rugby matches stopped. Do you know that for four years there was no rugby in Wales? Can you imagine that? Four years, no rugby in Wales. All people wanted to do was to be in church. All people wanted to do was to be in the presence of God. And there was such conviction of sin that people would come into church and begin weeping and crying and saying, Lord, is there any forgiveness for me? Is there any forgiveness for me? The, the ponies, the horses that worked in the mines became useless because they had been trained with swear words and none of the miners were swearing anymore and the horses didn't know, they, they couldn't understand the commands. This, is, this actually happened. And nation was so impacted by the presence of God, by the Holy Spirit, by the gospel that its very fabric was changed. This is what is needed in this nation. Can we, do we have it in ourselves to pray for this? Do we have it in ourselves to call on God to get together and say, Lord, do it again. Do it in our lives. Do it in this generation. Do it in this place. Do you know how the Welsh revival began? It began with people just getting together to pray and say, Lord, they got on their faces before God and they said, Lord, cleanse us from our sins. Lord, take away everything that's not pleasing to you. And they agonized and they wept before God. Just a handful of people. And from them, one of them got out. He came in to preach and he stood behind the pulpit. He was just a young man. And he knelt down 
And he said, Lord, bend us. Bend us. And in the Welsh, that literally means mold us, break us, change us. And when he uttered those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon that church. And people began to fall to their knees and saying, Lord, have mercy on us, save us, forgive us. Repentance flooded into that church. And from there it began to flood into the nation. People that were walking down the streets suddenly found conviction for sin and they were beginning to kneel on the streets praying and saying, forgive me, is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy? And they began to run into the church saying, I need the mercy of God. I need the mercy of God. Can this happen again? Can this happen in our lives, in our time? Can this happen again? Let's just stand Let's just stand and let's just call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to see you. We want to see your glory in this nation. We want to see your salvation in this nation. Oh, my God. Oh, my Father, we call upon you. Just begin to cry out to him today. Begin to pray. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Forgive us for the corruption that's been in our hearts, Lord. Forgive us for the things that we've done that have not pleased you. And bring us, Lord, bring us, Lord, into that place where we can be filled with your spirit and where you can work through us. We thank you. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Father, help us. Help us. Help us as a nation. Help us as a nation. We pray for this, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We pray, Father, for the people in Chamani Mani and in Chipinge. We pray for them, Father, who have been ravaged by this cyclone. But Father, we know and we believe that you have a purpose for what has happened and that you're going to bring it to pass. We pray, Father. We pray for the destruction of the power of witchcraft in that area. And we pray, Father, for the, the releasing of the gospel with conviction. We pray, Father, for people to repent. We pray for them to turn from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan to God. Raise up people, Father. Raise up your church in this nation. Raise up people that will preach your gospel. Raise up people, Father, that have no desire but to see your will be done. Father, I pray this today. Let me be one of them, Father. And let us as this church be a part of this. So, Father, I, I commit every person here to you. May you take these words that I've shared. Father, may you do something with them in our hearts. May you take them, Father, and may you bring forth the fruit that you want to see. Oh, Lord, let our hearts begin to cry. Let the desire 
for a move of God be birthed in our spirits. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.